special episode of Warhammer 40k Book Club. This is our first Best of Awards, which we're recognizing the best of 2019. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This episode, we're taking time to acknowledge the best characters, moments, and books that we read for the book club in 2019. If you've been following our cast, most of these will come as little surprise and should be familiar. Spoiler warning. Due to the nature of our awards, it's almost impossible to be spoiler-free for this episode. We will announce the book at the beginning of our award and try to keep them to one to two minutes. So if you haven't read a book we're talking about, go ahead and skip ahead a bit to avoid any spoilers. Be sure to check out any posts and accompanying casts for any books that intrigue you. With that, let's dive into the characters, the scenes, and the lines that really, and the concepts that really wowed us in 2019. Our first category is our first bro slash romance. <laughs> this can be either be a romantic coupling or a platonic friendship that really stood out to us this year. Classic examples of bromances would be like Uriel and Pisanias, and a classic romance would be Tonacrid and Dermon Caffron. So we're gonna go with our honorable- those, I don't know who those two people are you just said. It's because you suck and you haven't read the Gaunt's Ghost books because the Gaunt's Ghost books are complicated and a really big investment. Um, yeah, so, like, okay, I've already got one investment. It's called the Horus Heresy. I don't need two. No, no, I wouldn't do that to you. It, that's a whole story for a whole other time. <laughs> uh, so we'll start with our honorable mentions. And this one's kind of funny because I think you and I have, ours are kind of flip-flopped here. So for your honorable mention, you had from Knights of McCrag. I don't remember their names. <laughs> Arna and Vonko. Uh, yes. Uh, to me personally, I thought that romance was so sweet from just even from the beginning when I forget that sergeant that comes to her door and she's like, did you forget something? Oh, shit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not you. And um, just, you know, everything she did when she realized he looked into the astropath's third eye just even got a glimpse <laughs> so yeah i mean honestly that book needed a little bit of romance with everything that was going on <laughs> yeah yeah um so my honorable mention goes to a bromance and the funny thing is is that mine is actually the people for whom this category was created and it's to now and valerian um it's this is a platonic despite all of my little fan fiction that I might write on the side in my head. Um, I don't have time to write actual fan fiction. Uh, it's a platonic friendship, but these are two characters who are literally go together and are meant to be together. And just this odd coupling pairing of their, of her being just mad as hell at everything and him just very pragmatic, very professional, very straightforward. Uh, I can't wait to see more of these two. And I can already tell that they're going to very quickly become one of my favorite romances, pairings, friends, whatever you call them, <laughs> the 40K universe. So for your, um, for your favorite, it comes, <laughs> I laughed so hard when I saw this, because your favorite comes from Apocalypse. <laughs> yes. Care to explain this one? <laughs> Yes, because it's just so funny. Because it was so sweet and then so funny. So this is the random two slaves, basically, of, mm. uh, of the word bearers that realize that things are not going to go well for them. And for whatever reason, this girl and this guy, she kind of steals him off. 
she kisses him and then walks away and just as he's like oh that is nice he looks up and a raven guard comes down to kill him <laughs> it's just it's so warhammer right <laughs> i mean honestly if your tryst doesn't end with a raven guard looking down at you to kill you what are you doing with your life <laughs> in the 40k universe not much not a whole lot really no. hmm. um so my winner actually comes from Knights of McCrag and similar for the same reasons you did. I had Arna and Bonko. And I think it was because it was so unexpected. We're reading this book about he, Cato Sicarius, being stuck in the warp. And there's all these awful things going on. And there's a Primaris Marine who's a jerk. And there's, you know, the big burly spaceman. And then all of a sudden in between, there's this really sweet little romance between Arna and Vanko. And similarly to you, at first you think it's just kind of like a throwaway thing. And then no, and by God, they actually get a happy 40K ending. That was probably the most surprising part. I mean, the orcs are definitely coming back to that planet at some point. So they're gonna eventually have to fight those or die or both, but by God, they might get at least five years of happiness, and that's really all you can ask for in the Warcam of 40K universe. <laughs> so that was that was my favorite. <laughs> this universe sucks, man. <laughs> for romance, yes. Yes. And oh my gosh. So our second category is our favorite quote. And these are lines that just stuck in our brains because they were either particularly well written, sassy, or just generally memorable. Your honorable mention comes from Apocalypse. Man, I could have like put Apocalypse. <laughs> Just all across. Seriously. So Me too. I could what, have as well. So what I did for this category, I was looking through my notes to see particular stuff. And I have to say, I am a terrible note taker. Okay. I put random stuff that was like, this is a great line. Page 19. What the, what the hell is wrong with me? So that's going to be my New Year's resolution is to make better notes in this but um so man i don't even remember which, which one i put on their apocalypse because i could have really put the entire book i need just to pull up you this. had the gods only promised glory not the okay yes to see it so as i was flipping through apocalypse because i was trying to find my actually my actual favorite quote i stumbled on that one and i just loved it that it was very um introspective for a and just be like, you yeah, know, he's like, yes, they promised me glory, but the gods never, ever say you're going to survive it. And it's actually something right. that I've seen the word bearers say before uh, in uh, the Blood Angels Omnibus, for example. They kind of mentioned that they're like, you know, we know that we're going to win. It's going to be great, but we don't know who's going to survive to tell the tale in the right. end, which kind of goes back to like, the big, you know, the little intro in the beginning of every single Warhammer 40k book, the laughter of thirsting gods. It's to me, it's like it's a joke to all of them. Oh yeah, they, they are but puppets. Mm -hmm. Which, so along those lines, mine actually comes from a greater demon of Nurgle, and this one I really went back and forth on whether this is my favorite or not. But mine comes from Plague War, by Guy Haley. And it's Kugoth when he's complaining about Mortarion and he is a greater demon of Nurgle. So this guy is described as being like the size of a house and he's a greater demon and he's literally having a hissy fit. And he's complaining about Mortarion and he says, you know, he's a liar and he's mean. 
And he says the immortal words, I am an artist. And just the idea of this giant, bigger than a bread box demon proclaiming that he is an artist. <laughs> it's just so, it's so petty. <laughs> it's so petty. And it was funny, but it was also just, it was my favorite quote because it was so petty. So petty. I like, loved it. Just imagine throwing this fit, like folding his arms. Right. Like, oh, oh, kicking a rock. <laughs> if he could. Why don't you throw all your toys around the room, Veruca? And so your favorite quote, though, came from Ashes of Prospero. Cruel delight in heaping insult. Better men would mourn the loss of wisdom, not relish it. So I was a big fan of the dynamic between Neal and Issachar. Just, you got, you know, angry space wolf, kind of, not angry thousand sun. I mean, a little bit, but more just like, you Bitter. know, almost like a, like a little brother just kept poking at him. Like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you the entire time. It's just a really interesting thing. And, you know, with um, y'all being like, no, we were so right the whole time. And Issachar's like, no, we did nothing wrong. Like, you guys just came in and killed all of us. And when they see, like, all the works that have been destroyed and y'all's gloating, and he's just like, look, like, I, I get it now. I, I see what you've done, but do you have to be a dick about it type thing? Right. This is almost kind of harkens back to the space wolves. Everyone thinks that they're just a bunch of, you know, idiotic brutes when they're really not. But that was one of those moments like you're being one right now instead of yes. instead of the smart guy that we know you actually are. He was definitely playing to the stereotype. Right. And then agreed. His, and then his little one. voice in his head, the literal voice in his head was calling him on the carpet for it. You're like, yeah, this is like you're you're better than this. Mm -hmm. No, that was a very good one. My favorite one comes from Apocalypse. And this was my sassy one. It's when Amatnam first encounters the Imperial Fists. And he says, some things never change. Sigismund was overextending himself in the same fashion centuries ago. Only he knew enough to ward his guts from a sudden strike. Oh, I do remember that quote. Yeah. And I loved... I loved the quote because it was super sassy. It was very much in character for a Matinum, but it was also the idea that the Imperial fists have been fighting in the same fashion as their greatest swordsmen for an eternity. And yes, Sigismund was, he was a savant. He was great with the blade, but it sounds like they were literally like following the style and maybe not the spirit of it. So it was this kind of, I liked the quote because it was sassy in the time and it was very snide, but it also kind of laid bare this idea that the Imperial Fists that, and we've been seeing this a lot lately that all of these Legion, Loyalist Legions are just kind of going through the motions. Mm -hmm. They're not really understanding why they're doing a lot of these things. And so that quote just stuck with me all year. Well, we read it in July, but ever since July, I mean, it's really just stuck with me. I think most of Apocalypse has stuck with us. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, can I throw in like another line that I had a of hard course. time picking mm -hmm. between? So this is also from Apocalypse, since also a matinim, where he says that there's something about the bitterness of a failed race adds to the wine. <laughs> that well, tickled me when I read it. And I, yeah. 
I just can't so stop that thinking one, over it. So the other one that I wrestled with from Apocalypse was when the anchorite sees when a matinee. Oh, I know what you're saying. Is and he looks it's at like, him and he says, "You're one of Corferan's curs." It's like I remember you. The dismissiveness of it is so delicious. See, what I thought you were going to say was when he was like, "I remember you. You like to burn books because burn books because book, books don't fight back. Books don't fight back." Yeah, such a good. You could, to your point, you could probably throw a dart on a page, and that was a great quote. Right. That whole book, the dialogue in that book was so crisp. Hey, so I mean, are, God, I could I could just go on and on and on. Like when the soldier wants to do some small talk with the Imperial Fist and he was just like, he's talking to me. Like, what do I do? Oh, he needs, yes. to, he needs to, you know, let the time go. Well, I am going to small talk the shit out of this guy. I'm going to nail the small talk. <laughs> well, and I also liked when the Raven Guard went and it uh, got the one gate, the um, mobster guy. And he's like, you will be at this meeting. Right. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> like, just the whole thing is great and pick a line from one of the white scars right all, so which all the white scars we will talk a bit more about here in a minute mm -hmm. so this one's really funny to me our third category is the fun actually, irony uh our third category is the funniest moment the warhammer 40k universe is full of laughs and humor but these are the scenes that provided either a much needed laugh or were so perfectly timed and enjoyable they deserve mention and both of our honorable mentions come from the same scene in Shroud of Night, but we both, we gravitated towards different lines, but it's from the same scene. So yours is well, it's a throne. It, it's a pawn when they see Karn. And like I said, he's doing like the minions thing with his axes just swirling and murdering and they just see him and then he just goes, oh, throne. <laughs> like you're talking about like a, but possible traitor legion for them to even swear by using the throne is is huge and it just seems so hysterical at that point i mean here is practically you know corn himself coming up swirling axes and killing everything in sight it's just like ultimate terror well i loved i loved that line because it's like they're so scared like at that point not scared obviously because they're space marines but like what else do you do it's karn i just love the idea that they fall back on oh throne and so for me the line that i liked was later not too far later mm -mm. you have karn is going at saint celestine a keeper of secrets has manifested itself <laughs> And all these Adeptus Sororitas are coming in. The planet is literally breaking up. And you got the red mists of demons. The red mist yeah. is coming up with all the demons coming out. And they look at each other and say, we have to get off this planet. <laughs> like, again, the idea that, and I think we talked about this a lot in Shroud of Night, was that the absurdity of the situation, they were very cognizant of it. So this, oh, throne. And we have to get off this planet. I just... I, the whole scene was just so funny. And it, again, after he had build, built these, like, just crazy scenes, that little bit of humor in there just kept it grounded. I mean, well, talk, and then, talk about, like, a literal battle of chaos going on. Yes! I mean, you know, honestly, 
you know, I always talk about if you want to, if you want to read like what it's really feeling like to feel like chaos swirling is to read Shakespeare's King Lear because you will right. feel it at, as it progresses. This was like King Lear on speed. It's just going, it's going so fast and everything is just going absolutely wrong. Anything you can think of, things just get worse. And it, and you have these Alpha Legion guys who just want to get off this planet. They just want to go. They just want to go home. They just want to go find another war band or go find wherever their legion yes. is holed up. And it's just like, my God, man. This sucks. <laughs> we got primaris we have one of our own like turning traitor against us and we have uh karn <laughs> karn's a yes. thing karn well and i loved because there was also a funny scene when uh celestine shows up and they're like now they have an angel <laughs> what because what? you could just feel this gallo it was very much gallows humor but it was this gallows exasperation it actually reminded me i don't know if you saw the uh the ballad of buster scruggs there's a scene in there with um oh gosh i can't think of his name right now but this actor he's about he's about to be hanged and there's a guy next to him who's kind of freaking out about being hanged and he looks at him and he says first time ah so that meme i know the meme yes that meme comes from buster scruggs and uh it's just it's so funny and this the whole scene reminded me a lot of that of just this what else are you gonna do like first time seeing karn <laughs> seeing an angel seeing a keeper of secrets all in one place so i mean they've seen karn scene. before you know oh yeah ten thousand years ago but that was when he was like normal ish ish before the demon princedom before the whole swirling misty thing. Right. Yeah, it takes a lot to be a continuous avatar of corn. And uh, he rose to the challenge. So <laughs> now the funny thing here again is that our funniest moment, we chose the exact same thing. And I don't know what else you would pick. I, I don't either. It comes from Apocalypse. And it is the awakening of Malamir the white wolf of the lake and, I, and like i said like i saw i recently reread it and it's a really it's most of the page actually it is it's a long scene yeah it has er eric eric waking mm -hmm. him he's like come on old man it's it's time to go and he's like eric that must be is you. that you eric yeah only, only you would speak to me as such and he's like well you know he's like okay like everyone get out of the way i i got this and they won't move and he's like okay move and he's like and Eric's like, hey, would you let us, uh, you know, make sure to save some for us? It's pause. He goes, I can't promise. <laughs> no, no promises is what he says. No promises. Yes. And then like, they well, open, I just love it. They open the ramp and all these word bearers and cultists or whatever are shooting at him. He's like, is this the best you insects can do? Do you know who I am? Why don't you tell them who you are, grandfather? <laughs> I don't think they know who you are, grandfather. Tell oh, them. Oh, my God. I am the white wolf of the lake. Is it hear me howl? <laughs> which is so great. But I think like when we, we either said it on the podcast or it was a text conversation that we were having while we were reading it. I think you had said like, who's the white wolf of the lake? And I was like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe he is clearly. Well, me being as you guys can see the rookie, I didn't know if this was some thing that was actually mentioned before or whatever. You know, I, 
it's funny I, either way. So, I mean, oh, I, it was. And I still totally imagine when he's running down the ramp after Eric lets him go. I totally imagine Eric slapping him on the dreadnought butt. <laughs> right. <laughs> go get him, tiger. Right. Well, it was so great. And again, that just that, is that you, Eric? Only you would speak to me as such. It just, the whole scene had me laugh so hard. And it just, I guess it just tickled me. Like, it was just delightful. And so, I think we talked a lot about it on the podcast about yeah. Apocalypse. So, and I actually, I didn't want to say this before, but I actually kind of had this also as another honorable mention under best quote. And it's when, so you have um, a white scar and an, an Imperial fist back on the planet. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. All of a sudden they hear this howling and the white scar just starts smiling. He's like, yeah. And then they hear, oh, come on. What vermin is I see this before me? What rogue beast dare fates a hero of Chogaris? And they hear a howl and they just see a white dreadnought just running by and just destroying things. And they're like, it's like, yes, Malamir's here. It's all good. It's all good. Everybody relax. Malamir's here. Like, 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 that's amazing. He's just such a grandstander. Like, Oh, the dreadnoughts uh, have no fucks to give. They uh, have run out but, of them entirely. Okay, right, but I've never come across a dreadnought that much personality. Okay. I but, but and, you, and you know he had so much personality, and it was just again that book because it was so crazy, and there's all this lore stuff going on, and we're following the word bearers, and really the word bearers were the main characters of that book. Make no mistake, it's a word bearers book. But the fact that all of a sudden then you just have this delightful little scene with this dreadnought who is howling, literally howling, which must have sounded amazing through the Vox emitter. Right. Right. I just, oh my gosh. Well, especially for me, this was really like my first experience with the white scars because, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know much about them. They're not, you don't see very many models being painted of white scars and you don't see a lot of um, lore about them or, or anything. So that's exactly what the con wants. <laughs> and it just kind of seemed like, Oh, well, you know, they're the, they're the Asian, the Mongolians. So, you know, it's just, we just kind of like, just kind of threw it out there just because I didn't, mm-hmm. I never realized until this book that no, they wanted to be that way. And they are, they probably had the most personality out of any other legion out there and this is as a huge ultramarines fan i'm sorry these guys they're all they they, it's like they love life they love life they love what they do they're really good at it um like everything they said even uh, torag when he was basically dying as he's crashing his ship and he's like hey we're here we're not gonna let you we're not gonna let you die it's all good now crashes the ship and then they kill him but still he was just and even as they're about to kill him, he's even, he's like, people have tried to kill me before. I have been hanged, drowned, set on fire, listed all these things, like, and I'm still here. Just, you don't get that from any other of the Loyalist Legions. You really don't. They Well, I mean, some of the sub-chapters, yes, but of the OG original chapters, you don't, sometimes you do with the Space Wolves, sometimes people really make them kind of fun, but I can see that. Again, there's a bit more baggage with the space wolves. And I think people will kind of know what I mean there. There's, there's a bit more baggage with them um, because the white scars are kind of the redheaded stepchild of the loyalist legions. 
it's it's a little bit more fun and a little more delightful when you get to see them mm-hmm. and you get to see this personality in them and this book i think really really high i would love to see josh reynolds write a book about the white scars after this i think we said that during the podcast mm-hmm. too that it would be awesome to see a book with that it was it was funny it was memorable that scene just had it was the complete package in that scene well the whole book was a complete package but well that's true too but so moving on to our fourth category this was this was a hard one so this was our biggest oh my god scene these were the scenes that had us figuratively or literally with our jaws agape unable to comprehend the scene we just read and again, this category, I really struggled with this because we read a lot of crazy stuff this year. A lot of lore stuff, a lot of stuff that just made you go, what? So <laughs> this was really hard. Your honorable mention comes from War of Secrets. Yeah, for me, it was when um, near the, it's the very end and the chapter master of the Angels of Absolution that they failed to kill and he finds the Dark Angels logo, and with his assassin's belongings. I was like, by that point, I was like, oh, damn. Like, it's all getting real now. Like, even more so than with the Primaris being inducted in officially into the Angels and then just being like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like, we're we're rocking. Battle stations. Right, we're walking. That was pretty big. But I think it was this moment because, like, Like I said, just on the podcast, like I am a Dark Angels fan, but at the same time, I can't wait for all this just to blow up in their faces. I'm like a weird Dark Angels fan, I guess. But (laughs) it's okay to want bad things for your favorite Legion. Okay, maybe not. Well, see, I don't think they're weird. I guess I'm also from the opinion, I don't think it'd be a bad thing for things to get out in the open. No, I actually, I actually agree with you on that. Because it's been 10,000 It might be years. the best thing that ever happened to the Dark Angels. Like, okay, now we understand why you people never help us. Well, I don't know if that'll go over very well. <laughs> well I don't know. Well, I guess that's why they make how this... Robbie G will take it. But, and I guess that's how they look at the successor chapters, right? Just be like, mm. they'll do it. They'll do it. Well, yeah. We're, we're going to look for the fallen, but you guys go. You guys go and do it. Yeah, go help those people. They like need food or some shit I don't know. my honorable mention comes from belisarius call so for me it's the reveal of the tyranid space marines the fact that the gene stealers have irreparably invade i guess infiltrated the emperor's sides and the reason for me it was such an oh my god scene because a oh I guess it never dawned on me that the gene stealers would even attempt something like that or that they could get that seamlessly integrated. But also it was this nice little mystery, right? Because in the beginning, the Emperor's sides are like, no, 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 the Primaris are great. We should not talk about our OG gene seed at all, ever, ever, ever. And it was really mysterious, right? Because mm-hmm. they're the first people who are excited to see these guys. And uh, just this little mystery that keeps unfolding and then you finally realize what's going on. And that scene just left me like, oh man. Because again, now you have this whole other hidden threat that you never even thought was a possibility, really. And yeah, what happened on Ball was just 
like a little scratch on the surface of the Tyranid threat. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was Guy Haley dropping a gauntlet and saying, no, the Tyranids are a problem. This is a serious threat. So, because now, who knows? Who knows? They, they, they're going to have to develop new technology, I guess, to figure this out because they were fooling all the scans. Huh. So that one really just, I got to that scene and ooh, that kind of blew my mind for a bit. Your biggest oh my god scene comes from Apocalypse. Because everything comes from Apocalypse. Now, it was actually the moment when um, Amatnam and his group when they contrast uh, that planet with had the big library and they found all the works, the cult of the emperor in Colchisian. As at that moment, I'm like, oh shit, son. <laughs> Things have, this is before like I even figured out the Anchorite, but I was like, they have a word bearer. Like I didn't know who, but they, like we, we I mean, obviously we knew the cult of the emperor was started by Lorgar. And his right. writings. But for the Imperium to still harbor these things in Colchisium is huge. Well, the fact that the writings, these were new writings. This wasn't just, oh, we found this I one know. book, but then we built know. upon it ourselves. Yes, and they even talked about the new no. writings. Oh, and he talks about how they're all all old speeches that Lorgar used to give. And they're built upon speeches that Lorgar used to give. Mm-hmm. This is not, we found a book, but then we just kind of made our own fan fiction of it. And we've been like building off of that. Oh no, we found a book. And then we found one of the original writer's followers and he's been giving the original authors. Ooh. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, that scene was. Which then like immediately oh made me God. think of, you know, the beginning of Plague War when uh reboot gets that copy of the letitio letitio divinatus i'm just going to pronounce it like that and those written written by lorgar so it's like okay so he's well aware i mean he obviously knew before but now as he's learning about the ecclesiarchy that has happened he knows mm -hmm. that i mean you said in the unremembered empire there was was there a loyal word bearer or was that a loyal thousand son so it was a loyal word bearer okay who is he's loyal to he's complicated because he's loyal to the og word bearers who worship the emperor as a god okay but that was an unremembered empire so reboot was very well aware that there were at one time you know these loyalist uh Word, word bearers who were not going to turn to the pantheon right and then to know that like not only was this known maybe he forgot about it it's been ten thousand years and right kind of been in stasis but he knew well because he sent that guy mm -hmm. right he sent them so again just adding well, because he got Rami a message G's voicemail right he, could, mm -hmm. he got a message on his voicemail and was like oh right i'm sure he was like oh Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, we should probably stop that because we can't let the we, we can't let the word bearers get this guy. Yeah, like, this is all going to be so awkward. <laughs> exactly. 
So my biggest oh my god scene, and I know that you and I have talked about this one a lot too, actually comes from Spear of the Emperor. And it comes when, and it's, the reason it was such a big oh my god scene is that I literally had to reread the scene twice. Well, because same. I couldn't quite comprehend. Same, because I was, what I was happened. Like, like, his head fell forward, like, did he tuck his chin? You know, I couldn't, yeah. It's, the chapter master is talking, and then all of a sudden his head of the, falls Of forward. the lions. Yes. Celestial lions. His head falls forward. And I was like, wait, what happened? And then they reveal it's a Calidus assassin. Oh my God. And then in that moment, so reading the scene, the first thing I said aloud was, oh my God. And then the second thing I said aloud was, why would you only send one guy? Because all of a sudden, all of these little pieces of the book fell into mm -hmm. place. Why would you just send one guy? Why was this one guy so weird? Was Anharata really crazy and had imagined this assassin type person-y thing? And do you remember earlier in the book, they were like, yeah, the Inquisition is trying to wipe us all out because we criticized them. Which I still want to and know poor, what they said. And poor, poor Amadeus is like, no, why would they? And I think we even jokingly reading the book, we're like, uh, yeah, they would try and do that. I could, but I wasn't serious so the inquisition was um that scene I, just yes we even said yes the inquisition would totally do that but i would think with the imperium nihilists they'd just be like oh well problem solved oh no apparently no one holds a grudge like the inquisition um the scene yeah it had me saying oh my god i had to reread it everything fell into place and then i kind of laughed about it because i was like that's just delightful um because i well, like that, that kind of stuff that's another voicemail on robbie g's <laughs> right well assuming he gets the letter that they sent back through right. the um rift then yeah absolutely um and that's the other thing about it too is you get to the end and you're like oh oh it's very possible that no one will ever know about this mm-hmm which I'm so that was sure kind of sad yeah so that kind of that made it even more of an oh my god but for me it, it was a real close tie up toss up between that and the saint dreadnought reveal in apocalypse it was again there were so many moments this year that i just it was hard to choose just two i think what the saddest thing about that whole assassination was when she's cackling and she's like my sisters will sing my praises and they're like you think that they're ever going to find out that you were successful like she really thought she could go back i guess right or that word would get back to them or right. something like that because i get the impression that the calidus they've always kind of been living on that hey remember that one time that we killed conrad curse hey <laughs> I know that they've done a lot more since then. I know that they're serious business. I want to make that really clear. But reading that, it really hearkened back to that. Like, she's just like, this is just going to be like within Shen. Everyone's going to know, and I'm going to be a hero. Not so much. How are they going to know? Was before, that was before the rift, my darling. Mm -hmm. And also her death was delightful. This is true. Because surely it wasn't her pulling her into the warp surely not so our fifth category is just our favorite scene this was the scene that was so important or cinematic it stuck with us all year there were again 
we read so many vivid awesome scenes that just had a very strong cinematic quality to them it was really hard to pick just two of them um your honorable mention comes from ashes of prospero yeah you can tell i like this book better than you <laughs> yes so, no <laughs> it's the scene where the og space wolves that are still trapped in the portal have this big realization that horus betrayed everybody and oh bt dubs Horace was the one who told us to go kill all the, th the thousand sons. And just, just that moment of truth. And just like, because even the new, sp new Space Wolves were just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is what really happened. So we're not totally blameless in this, you know. Just, a, it was just kind of like, okay, now we all know what happened. Because then Issachar had made peace because then he understood. The Space Wolves understood. And they were all cool. As much as they could <laughs> be at that point right i mean yeah that was a little um but that was huge for the space wolves to learn huge huge i mean i i've said it before and i will keep saying it as long as they keep publishing books like this i don't understand why it's called space marine conquests it really should be space marines revelations because a lot of these books are just doling out these heavy heavy reveals and these heavy Things that sh conversations that should have happened a long time ago, mm -hmm. like, oh, by the way, it was well, Horus who sent us. And, but the OG Space Wolves knew. They knew the ones that survived it. They knew because they because they remained loyal. And, right. You know, and if not them, at least no, no, they had to have known. They had to have known because uh, crap. What's his name? Shit. Bjorn. The Primarch. Oh, Lehman Russ. Lehman Russ. Oh, Lehman Russ definitely knew. Oh, well, yeah. But not only that, but they all kind of, there's also that, um, I forget what he's called. He's, he was basically, he was a remembrancer, but they called him something else that they kind of have stuffed in a tree oh. in stasis. Yes. I can't think of his name right now, but that guy. Yeah. And uh, with all the other to be dreadnoughts, so it was kind of a cool revelation when you realized where he was in the beginning. Um, and in the dark, when they said you need to be quiet, we're in the dark. Yep. Um, so yeah, so he's just stuffed in this tree with all the other future dreadnoughts, and so they all knew, but it's just all quiet. Like, and I don't know if it was because of the shame. It has to be right, because I don't think, because knowing, okay, knowing Russ, what I do from especially after reading Prospero Burns and seeing what kind of character he really is. I don't see him walking away from that shame. Him like being like, oh no, no, dad told me to do that. I see him totally being like, oh no, like that was a mistake. We have to right our wrongs by doing this, 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 and this. But, all, but when he disappeared, you know, everyone's like, well, we don't, we don't, we don't talk it. about the whole thing anymore. Yeah. Like, no. So the emperor totally told sure. us to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. was when Horace was still a good guy. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. So, my favorite scene, my honorable mention, goes to Watchers of the Throne, and my it's this one was interesting because it's told across two chapters. You hear it's when the demons are invading Terra, and you hear it from Valerian's point of view and the the, the, oh God, the sister the of, Lord of Terra. 
no, the Lord of Terra, whose name just totally escaped me. But so two characters describe this invasion of Terra and there's blood coming from the sky and there's literal volcanoes erupting and these demons and it's horrible. And then you hear it from the Sister of Silence's point of view to now. And she's like, yeah, no, this place looks like a bombed out shithole and there's just a bunch of demons running around. There's no rain, there's no fire. It's just broken concrete and destroyed buildings. And I, that's a, it's a, motive it's a motif in a um uh element in books and stories that i really like when two characters are in the same place but they're witnessing the scene entirely differently there's actually in dead space 3 because i love the dead space series um one of the best scenes they have is you walk into this room at one point if you're playing multiplayer one of the characters is just kind of a room the other character's freaking out because his dead son is in there and there's all these like party supplies for his dead son's birthday and it was such a neat moment so like reading this and watching the throne it reminded me of that of just this two characters in the same place witnessing entirely different things and a part of it becomes is because of her nature and i loved the idea that yeah she sees the demon but it's just a it's just like a, a monstrous like thing there's no fire and blood and gushing and all that but everybody else they see that so to me that was just such a it was such a fun little moment and it really stuck in my head to now's vision of it more than anything because again she's seeing tara for the first time and she's like this place sucks like <laughs> you know it's just kind of funny as we know, say because spinoza had very much the same point of view she came to Terra and this was before the demon invasion she's like wow right this place sucks well and how many times did we say that when we read watches or when we read the carrion throne mm -hmm. <laughs> this place sucks right your favorite scene of the year though comes from plague war <laughs> this is a delightful scene I, this shouldn't surprise anybody, but my favorite scene out of everything we read, because I even bought the audiobook to listen, just to listen to this scene. And we it, listened to this as I drove you back to the airport. Mm -hmm. <laughs> After you listened to um, Kugoth's tantrum. I am an artist. But it was uh, when Raboot Gilliman uh, dresses down Frater Matthew. And this wonderful scene that I was like, I'm going to give a standing ovation while I'm reading this book because I've been wanting this since the beginning of this book. It is so wonderful. I love the, and especially with the part that really hits home that I always think of when I think of the scene is when Friday Matthews like, but your father, he goes, my father is King Connor right there. I was like, damn, like, uh, kind of like you know, Nick Nolte's character. I have spoken. This is done. <laughs> exactly. I have spoken. spoken. Yeah. Well, I liked, I loved that scene for a couple of reasons. One, I loved that my father is King Connor because it was kind of a, you have no idea. And then also when he's talking about the emperor speaking through you and he's like, I'm the only one who's talked yes. to the dude in 10,000 years. Yes. Shit. Yeah. That throwing some truth bombs there. Throwing some truth bombs. Robbie G has had enough of your foolish foolishness. Yeah, that that was a very, very close third for me. It didn't quite make my honorable mention mm -hmm. my favorite, but it was it was up there. <laughs> it was just so delightful and so satisfying. 
Well, there, I mean, there were so many points, like, you know, when I'm reading it, again, I want to go standing ovation, but at the same time, he made those points like that, like, I'm the only one who's spoken to the Emperor in 10,000 years. My father's King Connor is one of those was like, almost like my dad was yelling at me and just like, oh, I must sit and be quiet because like, daddy's gotten real. <laughs> it's really kind of what, what it felt like. Just like, no, you don't talk back now. He's just made this point and you just, okay. Yeah, no, you're going to listen. Well, and I liked that too, because if you remember the custodian, the custodian and Robbie G were not on good terms at all until that scene and all of a sudden the custodian is like oh you're gonna listen son mm -hmm. and i do like at the end when he's just like yeah reboot's not gonna you can't reboot's not gonna mess with you but don't you cross me <laughs> like, like he gives it that party well, shot he said, he said i've made no such promises <laughs> that's right god yeah and then i imagine a scene from Step Brothers where cole kwan and reboot are like did we just become best friends yes <laughs> yes <laughs> we did <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much mm -hmm. um yeah that scene was just oh, so good so satisfying my favorite scene comes from apocalypse and to quote sir michael kane in you guys, I've had some whiskey. Um, to quote Sir Michael Caine in Miss Congeniality, when he describes the one time, the one time his girl lost the Miss America pageant was when they were up against a deaf, deaf mute. mute. <laughs> you can't beat that. It is Saint Dreadnought. You can't beat that. For me, just because the scene is beautiful. All these word bearers are, and their demon pets are coming up upon this ecclesiarchy stronghold, and all of a sudden and they believe that they're not. They believe they're rescuing. Someone. Oh, they think they're rescuing someone. Yeah. He, this unmarked dreadnought, comes walking out, and he says a word that we highly sus suspect is the word of the emperor, and just this light comes pouring out of him. It kills and banishes all of the demons. And they talk about the wings coming off his back, like some sort of archaic seraphim from the Old Testament with like, how like 16 wings coming off this dreadnought, which I bet you he could take flight. And the Amatnam- would have been amazing. And Amatnam immediately he like sinks down. He's like, that word is so familiar. And it's so like, I think he said like something like kind or made him feel like full of light and hope on the inside, but he couldn't remember where he'd heard it before. Yes. His reaction to it is so good. And just the scene itself, it is because you already have the revelation that this guy has been writing the scripture for the ecclesiarchy, we, mm -hmm. for the ecclesiarchy. We've gotten to meet him and had that reveal. And then that I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And you could just picture it in your head. And again, like five months after reading this book, I can still just vividly recall it. And I, that to me was the best scene of the year. I could see that. I really could. <laughs> I mean, cause it, like I said, it was, I mean, there are obviously you, everyone listening, reading, whatever, you can tell there were a few books that Jen and I both really gravitated towards. It was really hard for us to kind of toss in. And Apocalypse was def, you know, that scene was definitely up there for me too. So good. So 
Our sixth category is our favorite antagonist. These are the villains we love to hate, or in both of our winning instance, the villains we were maybe cheering for a little bit. So your honorable mention comes from Shroud of Night. And we've already talked about him a little bit. It's Karn. <laughs> and just honestly, um, so the only thing I've read of Karn is from what I've read in Horus Heresy, and this was before the fall. So then seeing this now and then describing him, and again, like I know I keep saying like the little minions thing, but that's really what I envisioned. He seemed like the most terrifying thing I could ever imagine coming, even though I make jokes about the minions. I don't want to see that coming at me, this big old red avatar of corn swinging his axes around, whether he's going beedo, beedo or not. I don't care. That sounds scary as shit. And, uh, and just the whole time he sees the saint, he just points an axe at her. He's like, you know, basically, I'm here for you. Like, your head is going on Corn's uh, throne. That's all he wanted. If he got more skulls Ooh. along the way, cool. But that, that was the He's a simple goal. creature. Right. Yes. He, and I think we said this when we read the book, but because we haven't really seen Karn in a while, what is Karn up to? Um, where in the world is Karn... Sandy, never mind. Doesn't work. <laughs> I kind of like that actually. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> so it didn't work very well. Um, but because we hadn't seen him in a while, and for me, like I always think of one of my favorite wallpapers that I've had on my desktop for forever is the one with Karn, where it's when life gives you lemons, blood for the blood god. <laughs> and um, it's one of my favorite things. And so, but seeing him in action, it was terrifying. He was, and I think I compared him to Nemesis from Resident Evil Nemesis. Every time he showed up, I was like, oh no, not Karn. <laughs> it was, no, it was, it was, he was terrifying. He was a great antagonist. That's why those you see him coming and you might as well just like lay down and be like, all right, that's it. <laughs> like, yes, sorry, go ahead and take it, bro. <laughs> um, which is also kind of sticking it to him because it's not as fun if you're not fighting back. Um, so my favorite antagonist comes to spear of the emperor and wait have I you done your honorable mention oh sorry it's my honorable mention okay comes to the spear of the emperor because we have the same favorite um my honorable mention it comes to spear of the emperor and somebody i roll my eyes because somebody told me how to pronounce it and i can't remember now uh so i'm gonna say it with my hick accent Nar-Kazar. Uh, <laughs> hey adv really said he liked he liked how we said it Okay, good. My American hickisms are good for enough for him. For the Dark Star, it's good enough for me. Um, so I really liked Narkazar as a Kajar. Anyways, um, I really liked him as a villain. I thought he was very fun because, again, you could tell that this man had given his last damn in the universe, and he had now turned over. The, turned to the dark side and he was he was rather enjoying it actually um, there was just this sense of satisfaction and malice yes but not like bitter or hateful malice it was more of just like a this is who i am now accept it and he was imposing he was scary and we've talked about this a lot um because one of my favorite one of my all-time favorite warhammer 40 characters is uh hanso from the Iron Warriors, he reminded me a lot of Hanso. He was civilized. He was uh, 
civil, not civilized. He was civil. He was a little refined. He was calm. But he had, but he hadn't also, <clears throat> he hadn't changed. Like, you know, Hanso right. never really changed either. No. So, and, which I think made him scarier. Right. And it just made him very imposing. Which I think also kind of comes with, um, he's not a worshiper of chaos. Yeah, he's on the no. other side, but he's not worshiping chaos. He's just, mm -mm. he's just like, you know what? Fuck the emperor. Fuck everything. We're out here. It's the wild, it's officially the wild, wild west out here. And I got my red bandana on. Yes, very much so. Again, this man, he gave his last damn. It's gone. So, and I really, I liked that idea. Again, I really like when we get to see these characters who aren't these slathering demon worshipers, right? Mm -hmm. Which, speaking of that, I want everybody to sit down because this is going to be a big shock to you. But our favorite antagonist comes from Apocalypse and it is a matinem. He, oh my God. He's both, and it's interesting. This book is interesting. And I think we said this in the podcast too, because he's both the antagonist and the protagonist at the same time. But because of his, his desire, his goals and his aims, he definitely is more of an antagonist. And what an antagonist. I, I, you know, I always love it when an antagonist is funny. To me, yes. they, to me, they're they're the best kind because one, it does kind of make them a little bit scarier when, when they crack yes. jokes. Um, but just like everything about him and how conniving he was, like how he was, because I think he was Team Erebus. I think he was on Erebus. He's Corfaron. Is he Corfaron? Yeah, Lakmu was Erebus. Okay, I couldn't remember. remember you're one of Corfaron's curse. Yes, well, I just finished reading um, the Lorgar Primark novel, so um, fuck Corferon and everything the guy stands for. Yeah, pretty much. So that makes me kind of, you know, hate Amatinum e even more for siding with that piece of human garbage. Um, but just like how snide he was and manipulative. I mean, he was mm -hmm. able to goad Lakmu into <laughs> backing himself into a corner and losing everything it was kind of amazing to watch it oh very much so but the thing that i liked most about him was that the best villains are the heroes of their own story and he was unquestionably the hero of his own story not only was he going to rescue a brother in arms mm -hmm. he was trying to lead lakamu to the light remember there's that conversation yes. where he's like look at why we're here and then he says to Lakmu, he's like, why would Erebus want us to kill this guy? And even Lakmu's like, oh, that's like a good point. Um, I liked the idea because they were very antagonistic, those two. But I did like the idea that Matinim was like, dude, you could still come to the right side here because we're doing something big here. I love that. And yes, watching him. My favorite scene for Amatinim, actually the thing that sold me on him is very early on in the book when um, he goads that one guy into fighting him and the guy summons a demon and Amatinim just puts out his hand mm -hmm. and the demon stops and Lakmu's like, how did you do that? He had the sigil on his hand. Yeah. It was dirty. It was like boss move, dirty tricks department. 
And right then I was like, oh, I like this guy. This guy's good. It was, he was just such a well-crafted villain that we love. It reminded me, and I think I said this in the podcast too, but it reminded me a lot of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He's not a good dude, but we're invested in his story. And by the end there, I was kind of hoping that maybe things worked out for him. Well, you know, it's kind of like we've seen, you know, over the last few years, like probably since my um, youngest son was born, with this rise of the anti-hero. Uh, and, I'm yes. not, and I'm not talking about Deadpool, but like I'm talking about so many TV shows like uh, Breaking Bad and um, because those were not good people. Walter White no. was not a good person, but you and neither was Jesse. But same time, you were on the edge of your seat, hoping somehow they got away with right. literal murder oh, yeah. and drug dealing. Same thing with Sons of Anarchy. Uh, yep. Justified. I mean, it's all kinds yeah. of things. Oh, Boyd Crowder. Who did, right. Who wasn't rooting for Boyd Crowder? So, in a weird way. Like even in a weird way, I was kind of like I was just really curious, like how far Mags Bennett, you know, would go with stuff. Um, Dude, she was one of my favorite characters on that show. Right. Um, oh, actually, in a lot of ways, like a Matinum. Oh, the Americans. That's another one. These are two very bad people, KGB spies right. in the U.S. But I don't want them to get caught, you know? Right. So we've had this big rise of the anti-hero, and I think uh, Matt and M kind of filled that pretty well with this. But at the same time... Like, and the 40K universe. Yes, but at the same time, I was happy when he died. Yeah. So it's, like, it's like, no, Chaos can't totally win out on this. Well... They do. Yeah, I was going to say, because remember, he says he's, he's even happy when he dies. He's like, oh, my God, the like, damage I have done here. Like, th there was still a victory. Oh, yeah. Because he even says, he's like, oh, man. <laughs> like, this was more, this, this, I won more than I could have anticipated winning. And it's like, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes he said earlier, he's like, you know, the gods promise victory. They never once say that you're going to survive it. Yep. And, uh. He definitely didn't survive that one. No. But, oh man, the the blow dealt there. So yeah, he was just favorite antagonist. So our seventh category, to balance it, is our favorite protagonist. Red letter media. <laughs> it's a red letter media reference for all my Star Wars nerds out there. Uh, our favorite protagonist. These are the heroes and the main characters whose stories we were just completely and utterly invested in. And this is funny because our honorable mention is the same one. And people might be picking up on a theme here. Uh, it comes from Shadow of Night and it is Kassar. 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 Uh, who is the main Alpha Legion guy who we follow. And I went back and forth on whether or not he was an antagonist or a protagonist, but he really he's the main character and he's good question mark he's this guy who's well, just trying to get his guys as we said earlier he's just trying to get his guys off this friggin planet like he doesn't care about the emperor's children he doesn't care about he helping them care about out them. he's just like I, no. I just i just want to go they're just trying to survive which is not something we see very often from a space marine story. No. And the funny thing is, and they'd also, they didn't, except for that one prick who ended up leaving them, 
But they we don't talk about him. Right. They didn't go out seeking a fight with any of their primaries. Like, they didn't go out, like, we're going to go murder every single Imperial Fist. They were actually trying to sneak around them to get around it to avoid yep. all these fights. And they fought when, when they had to. Uh, I guess my, the saddest thing that happened to Kasser was, you know, he was really big on we do not... We do not turn to chaos demons. Right. We don't do that. And then he falls prey to one without, and he doesn't remember. Right. So this means, well, um, so I'm hoping, Mr. Clark, please listen to this. Um, there will be a sequel to this, yes? Please. They got away with the beacon. There has to be a sequel. Right? But see, there's I the other thing. Spoken. They didn't kill the beacon. They didn't kill everybody on that ship. They could have. They could have. But if you recall, and this is the most intriguing reason, this is the reason I actually put him down as a protagonist and found this very interesting. St. Celestine looks at Kasser with the beacon and she says, like, look, this is what the emperor told me was going to happen. So go forth. And there's also that um, battle sister who couldn't see anymore, but Miss took him for one of the lieutenants yes and his conversation with her is lovely and he, didn't. he absolutely could have just been like whatever and he lady. didn't kill her no you know so this is like one of those this is uh you know one of those war bands in the alpha legion that really is the we don't know which side they really fall except that they'll make comments like, for example, mm -hmm. like when they came across the Primaris Marines and they were disgusted by them because they're like, that's blasphemy against the Emperor. That Someone thought they could perfect what the Emperor has done. Some upstart Magos. Well, I can't disagree. <laughs> no, you can't really disagree. Having no. read the book, he's no. definitely an upstart Magos. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. Well, and, but I like that, too, because that also is one of those question marks, the loyalty, because they see it and they're like, no, no. The emperor's work was perfection. Exactly. But they would find that blasphemous is just like, hmm. Uh, again, there was the whole loyal, not loyal, but if if nothing else, he was loyal to his war band. And he cared about his war band and getting them out safe and alive and in one piece was important to him. And, and despite them, whatever Dickless kept saying, he remembered everybody who died every single yes. person yes and just keeping them corruption free mm -hmm. because he knows that nothing good comes from corruption so you just gotta keep on keeping on and bless his heart i mean come on <laughs> that's an uphill battle right and it just he had great personality too i loved it and the whole I am Alfarious thing. That was great. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was absolutely wonderful. And when, in the beginning, when they're like, who wants to be the leader this time? It's like, you guys. Oh, you. So your favorite protagonist, Big Shock, comes from Plague War and or Dark Imperium. It is, it is my man, Robbie G. My lord and savior. <laughs> <laughs> Although he would kill me for saying that because he doesn't want to be worshipped. I was going to say, there's yep. there's no gods. No, nope, there, there's, there's no gods. There's no, you know, he tolerates the ecclesiarchy just because overthrowing it would not go well for him right now. 
mm, be a bad move right now. No, but I know I've said this like several times, and even though like you're not as you are an Ultramarines fan, but I am. He's but he's not your favorite Primark like he is mine. Correct. You and I have both agreed that he was the best Primark to come back first because he's the yes. most diplomatic. He's uh, very war war minded, and I, I don't mean it like in a bad way. Just he knows strategy. Yeah, yeah. Um, because like you know, Korax could be fun, but he's not. But he's a sneaky, stealthy guy. He's not. Let's build yeah. this big old plan to to kind of take. There over. is no fun in Korax. <laughs> There's no fun. I say that as a fan of Korax. There is no fun. And you know, he um just because of how he grew up. You know, with King Connor and his mother and everything, just learning how to be sociable, for starters, something I think a lot of Primarchs never learned how to do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, <laughs> diplomatic, but yet at the same time he's risen and he's pretty much like, what the fuck did you guys do? All right, that's it. That's it. You know, I got a lot to catch up in 10,000 years. Not only are you guys going to let me learn everything I've lost 10,000 years, we're going to fix all this shit, whether you guys like it or not. Drag them kicking and screaming, by God. So, so in many ways, you know, and, and I love that he doesn't take no shit from anybody. It's just so so great how he's just, just doesn't, he didn't care. Like, no, nope, sorry. Like, I'm an actual son of the emperor and who are you again? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like, right. I'm, I'm the goddess of death and who are you again? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Um... The only thing I don't like about him is his treatment of Marnius Calgar, but he's just—he's just a dad who doesn't know how to express his affections. Big shock there. Which sounds familiar, maybe. Although he had a dad who did know how to express affection. Right. It's kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's almost kind of like the lion with Calgar. It's like, you yeah. should know what's in my mind mm -hmm. and just accept it that it's, that's right. how it is. <laughs> this is what's best for everyone. Well, it's like, again, he doesn't Pretty care. Much. He doesn't care. He's like, this, you guys have fucked everything up. I think what was it was a meme. Like the first thing he says when he wakes up is like, you fucking people. It's just, <laughs> right. you know, it's just, it's all messed up. I'm going to be here. I am fixing it the way it is supposed to be. But he knows, but he knows he just can't grab the tablecloth and immediately yank it all out. He has to kind of do this in baby steps. Evolution, not revolution. Starting with the Inquisition. Which, I don't think the lion would have been like, the lion oh, would have God, been like, no. we're flipping the table over. He wouldn't Starting even tell, over. He wouldn't even tell anybody who's flipping the table. This table would just be flipped. That's true. That is true. I'd be like, is there a problem? Hey, why, why are you arguing about this? <laughs> Rosa so Vulcan would be like, so we need to change all this, but let's like talk about this in our safe spaces. How does it make you feel? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so my favorite protagonist comes from Watchers of the Throne. Big shock. And it's Tanawalea. Um, mm. For me... She was just, so it's a book. And what's interesting about the book is that there's three main characters and it jumps around, you know, from their points of view. But even in a book where she's vying for a third of the page space, she just jumps off the page and grabs your attention. 
-hmm. and she had so much personality and like with the lord of terra i felt like i really it took me probably two or three chapters before i really had a grasp on him well yeah because he's your typical he's fat um wealthy just kind of you know wastes his money and he he wasn't a lord but he was one of the minions but he's like he was a higher up minion like a glorified secretary in many many ways um just you know it was just kind of he did what he did to survive not to make anything happen in a way and he was unapologetic about it too he's right. basically like look this is how things work on terra and that's just how it is and that i thought on one hand i liked that he was he wasn't like okay well here's why i'm doing this he was just like look this is how it is i did like that mm-hmm. but it took me a while to get a grasp on him valerian too because valerian's a custodies and he was very cut and dry very matter of fact so it took you a while to get to know him one chapter in, and you knew now, Leia. You knew exactly who this lady was and what she was dealing with. And she's pissed. And that, she, and that she's mad as hell and she's not going to take it anymore. This lady is done. 100% done. See, and now, so, now I'm just going to imagine her with Twisted Sister as her like theme music as she enters in. I still just picture her from uh, Network screaming at the sky, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore! With her fingers because she doesn't talk. Um, really furious um, battle sign. <laughs> furious battle signing. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a meme ready to be made. Um, just, I loved her and everything about her. It's like, oh, oh, you wanted to give her like a long distance hug because she doesn't strike me as a hugger. But now it's like a stiff drink. My favorite scene with her, of course, is very, the wonderful scene where she's basically trying to get Valerian to get the fuck out of her room. And then she's just like, you know, kind of like trying to read over the stuff that she can't read. He's like, oh, hey, that says blah, blah, blah. Where'd you get that? That's Colchisian. She's like, oh, wait, I have use for you. Just one of those (laughs) moments where she finally like, okay, all right, I'll stop being so angry at you right now. And though she had every right to be angry. She did. They, I mean... Look, bottom line, they totally were just like, yeah, those people? Eh. Like, like if they're not on the black ships, do we really need them? Right. They're kind of like powerful, people, so they could, like... They're kind of inconvenient for the Inquisition, And they so. would know any of our best Inquisitors. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was... Oh, man. So, I did... I loved that, too. Well, it was, um... It wasn't Caucasian. It was, uh... I cannot remember the name of the planet that Horus is from. But yeah, and when he looks at the map and she's immediately, she goes from telling him to get out of her room and that he's an asshole to being like, you can read this. Are you sure? I thought it was was Colchisian, is it not? No, it's, um... I don't remember where Horus is from. I can't remember right now either. Um, But anyways, that place. And uh, I loved that. And I just, yeah, when they steal the ship, I've never, yes, queen, never cheered so much for a character. So our final category for awards is our best book of 2019. The moment we've all been waiting for. This is, so again, once again, we have the same runner up and we have the same winner. And 
these are the books that I can imagine. I think we've already said this, but these are the books that I imagine we'll be talking about years from now and referencing and kind of like I incessantly do with the Night Lords trilogy. <laughs> um, so our runner up was Shroud of Night by Andy Clark. Shroud of Night. Shroud of Night. Um, for me, first off, and I said this in the podcast, and I will stand by this, is that it was so off the wall. It reminded me of an 80s action film where it was just nonstop action and all this crazy stuff going on and explosions and Karn and an angel and a demon. <laughs> all utter, of this crazy stuff. Yeah, utter chaos. Utter chaos. In Dog the cats, of the world. living together. Mass hysteria. Exactly. Mass hysteria. Exactly. Hmm. And we read it on the heels of Apocalypse which was such a lore-changing, deep and heavy book. Just, it was the perfect after-dinner dessert. It, it was just, yeah, it was like a nice, perfect little piece of cake. So much fun. I laughed, I cried, I cheered for an Alpha Legion person. I got to the end and was like, what is going on? It was, which is exactly what the Alpha Legion wants. Um, <laughs> they wouldn't have it any was, other way. They would not have it any other way. Like you don't know what side they're on. Cool story. They don't either. Uh, I loved the book. It was it was great. I got nothing else to add because that was perfect. <laughs> so our best book of 2019. Again, I want everybody to sit down because this is going to shock you, but it was Apocalypse. I think everyone probably knew this because I think we've talked about this before. How Apocalypse was definitely. If we didn't talk about it on the podcast, I thought we had, but maybe we didn't. It might have just been several text messages about how Apocalypse was. We couldn't imagine anything topping Apocalypse for the year. Mm -mm. It's because it is one of those that, I mean, talk about a book that has everything. And I mean everything. everything. It has a great plot, great characters. It's well written. Um, it's funny. It has its horror moments. And there's like a snippet of romance before the Raven Guard comes through and kills people. But I mean, like, even I did get sad, like, when Karis dies. Like, I texted Jen, I was like, I am not happy! You know, just... <laughs> yeah, so it has, like, oh, big reveals, huge lore-changing reveals. I mean... Like, huge. Yeah. Well, and I just... I don't know what so else you could have wanted from a Black Library book. Well, and the thing that's so cool about this book, and it really makes it unique for this year, and actually within the Black Library catalog, I would argue, is that, so in the very beginning, do you remember there, the Raven Guard, the Imperial Fist, and the uh, White Scar are sitting around and they're talking, they're like, how do we want to do this? And the Imperial Fist is like, well, you guys just do what you guys do best. So you get... The White Scars being awesome, being White Scars. You get the Raven Guard being awesome, being Raven Guard. You get Imperial Fists being awesome, being Imperial Fists. And you get the Word Bearers being Word Bearers. So you get to see these four very unique legions all doing what they do best. And that's, you know, a lot of times it's one legion takes the forefront. So it's like an Ultramarine's book and yeah, there's some other guys here, but this is really an Ultramarines book. And this, I felt as though nobody really played second fiddle to mm -hmm. anybody else. No. 
it wasn't and, like, oh, the Raven Guard's really awesome, but those white scars are, I don't know what the white scars are doing. Anyways, the Raven Guard's so awesome. No, and Everybody. honestly, you know, when we got the book, like, it was like, okay, I know we're going to do this conquest, and it's a new book, and yes, we, we, we need to read it, because we're trying to get on that schedule type thing, but, you know, it had the Imperial Fists, and the Raven Guard, and the White Scars, and these are three legions, like, I really don't care very much about. I I like the Raven Guard for after reading uh, Shrike's book, but the White Scars, the Imperial Fists, who I've always found boring, like, I don't understand change my mind on everybody well and this was one of those books that i don't even know i don't even remember why but i ordered the special edition the limited edition i don't even remember why i did it was a limited edition i was like oh maybe that would be really cool to have it wasn't that expensive i am so glad i got the limited edition you guys same <laughs> like with the artwork and the inside and the colored paint my boarding pass from when I read this on vacation is still as a bookmark in here. Um, the yellow pages, because Carrie knows I have a thing for colored pages. Um, so, so glad. And when I bought it to my husband, I remember showing him and he was like, why would you buy the limited edition of this? And he got to the end of it and he was like, if you mark up a single one of these pages, I'll kill you. <laughs> so um, I had to take notes on that one. I'm horrible to my books, you guys. Uh, but not that one. It's pristine. <laughs> oh, like when my husband gave me the book, he was like, "Not a mark." <laughs> okay, I'm a dog ear. That's why my boarding pass is still in there. It was just, and the funny thing is, is that I found that this book was semi divisive because you'll see threads on Reddit where people are either like, "Oh my god," or people are like, "Ugh." Too much lore stuff, and those people are wrong. How can you be annoyed about a Black Library book having too much lore? Is the lore changing things was the gist of it. And I think uh, Josh Reynolds had posted something on Twitter one day, and somebody was like, about writing his next book, and somebody was like, could you have like a little less lore changes in it? And a bunch of other people were going off of that too, and it was like, what? what kept it interesting people granted you don't want to read that all the time it since our second runner-up was not lore changing enough well maybe potentially lore changing uh, well i mean but shit people katie fell all right a primark is back there's going to be some lore changes i mean black yeah. not not even black library games workshop has been like man we need to spice this universe up so mm -hmm. anything goes now we're going to make it the wild, wild west. Pretty much. And at the forefront, the Black Library. Um, no, I loved the book. But so for our parting note, on the heels of all of that, what are we most excited for in 2020 or beyond? What is the runner up for what you're most excited for? Dang it. Big surprise. What did I have? on the next dark imperium book okay thanks i was just like i don't have it up in my phone's not acting right no so yeah so the next dark of course it's the next dark imperium book i mean i i kind of know what's going to happen next especially with with i mean with frater matthew what about the alpha legion that you know destroyed uh, his village yeah. that got mentioned casually right um 
still got to finish this fight with Mortarian. I mean, that that's just not going to just kind of dissolve away. Kugoth is still an artist. Typhus is still a dick. Is it weird that I'm really excited for the next Dark Imperium book, partially because I want to see what Kugoth is up to? Like, I want to see him pitch his toys around the room some more. Please have a hissy fit, sir. This is so funny seeing him this way after reading um, David Annandale's Sons of Titan, which I do think you would like a lot because they inadvertently mm -hmm. summon Kugoth there. And he's a force to be reckoned. So the thing is, they accidentally um, he gets summoned on a ship and they're in the void. So there's like no escaping this. That's bad, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my runner-up is the sequel to Vaults of Terra, The Carrion Throne. Uh, it just happens to be right here next to me still. I... That lady wasn't working alone. So I really hope that we get to learn a little bit more. And I just... I... You know what? Spinoza and Crowell, they really fought for the protagonist. Um, the honorable mention on this list. Because, man, I really liked them both. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what happens next. With I that. agree. <laughs> I agree. That was probably just, like that was probably like my my third one. Although, I mean, it's already out, but we are not reading it until the paperback comes right. out, which is in January. And Although that Black Library site is not to be trusted. That's because of me because I won't get the hardback because <laughs> I already have the paperback of one, so I can't mix. Me too. Plop, plop. Are you one um, of those so, you can't you can't mix? No, I can't mix. Hmm. Can't mix. Um, if you if you get the special edition in one, um, now the conquest the revelation series is a little different. But yeah, I well came into that too late, and I'm fine with it. That's fine. Same. Yeah. Um, so, what's your most anticipated book for 2020 or beyond? Well, funny you should mention Conquest because it's the next Conquest book. It's Fist of the Imperium by Andy Clark. <gasps> Ooh, awesome. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. That's the. Oh, yes. I'm very excited for that yes, one as well. Because it's not my most anticipated, but it's close. Oh, I mean, it's two books. Uh, I've already read, uh, read two of his books that I just loved. And so I can't wait to see what he does with, with the conquests. Even though it's still got the Imperial Fists, I don't care. I mean, if Josh Reynolds can make them interesting, I'm sure Andy Clark can make them interesting. Yes, I also am. I'm very excited for that one as well. Uh, it's not my most anticipated, but I'm super excited for that one. Uh, my most anticipated book for the year, uh, for 2020 or beyond, is the sequel to Watchers of the Throne 2. And if it's not called Hunting and Killing with Tanau and Valerian, oh, but I'm going to be really upset. But it's not. I think he already announced the title. I, I know he isn't. I know it oh. isn't. But god damn it, dude. <laughs> That's killing like, me. That sounds like an adventure guide. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, do you remember, so you remember um, Boardwalk Empire? Of course. Um, there was, uh, what was his name? Shoot. There was one of the gangsters that Harrow, Richard Harrow and him went on this murder spree. And I was like, dude, I'd watch an entire show. That's just hunting and killing with Harrow. And oh, the, um, the Irish guy, they didn't go on a murder spree together, but he oh, also yeah, yeah, did yeah, the yeah. guy that, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the guy who played Daredevil. I was going to say the, the Irish guy. Daredevil later. Yeah. 
yeah i was like i would watch an entire show called hunting and killing with these two guys and i would i i want to read hunting and killing with Tanao and valerian i was actually surprised that was your number one because i would have thought your number one would have been the sequel to spear of the emperor i'm excited for that one too you know what there were so many books that we read this year that were starts to series that i was like dude happily like shroud of night Mm -hmm. this was one that i would love to have a sequel to this really soon and spear of the emperor uh what was the other one we read another one this year that i really am waiting oh the next black legion book i'm really excited for the next black legion book um well yes i mean especially since watchers of the throne mentioned kane i have a blind (laughs) sorcerer downstairs who already predicted do you oh really who could that be? <laughs> I think we know that guy. Um, I'm so excited for that one. Although, if it if it's the book in which we see Leor Vine die, I'm going to be very sad. Well, so far it seems is I don't know if it's supposed to be a trilogy or what, but each book has been a separate crusade. So I guess we got like mm-hmm. eleven more to go. Although, I'd be fine with that. Maybe just 10, because they're not going to do the 13th Crusade, because there's like 10 million books on the 13th Crusade. Yeah, probably. Um, but I imagine maybe they'll just go through like the important Crusades, but... I don't know. I'd be cool if there was like a book I don't called... know that I'll be as interested after Leorvine dies. But I don't know. I'm personally be interested. There's a collection of Crusades called the Failbadon <laughs> Crusades. Even though <laughs> the you thought they were failures, but actually were not. I was going to say, like, even, though bamboozle. Kane, even though Kane was like, those weren't failures. Yeah, I, I do like that they retconned that. They weren't failures. He just had a different objective. It's the Xanatos Gambit. That's what it needs to be called. Black Legion, Xanatos Gambit. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so that was our best of 2019 i had a few books in here i have a surprise because i threw in something that i was thinking of i was uh i don't know what i was doing today anyway it doesn't matter so i was gonna ask you of the awards and what you like nominated and everything which book wasn't represented enough by your votes do you think oh oh that's a good question um God. Knights of McCrag, probably. Damn it. For as much as I enjoyed it. That's mine, it. too. I was, I was thinking yours would be Spear of the Emperor, but yes, mine was Knights of McCrag. You know what? I was actually just about to say it's either Knights of McCrag or Spear of the Emperor. I would say that those two, for as much as I enjoyed them, are probably up underrepresented. They, they had so... It, just, it was just such stiff competition this year. We read so many things that just resonated with us, and yeah or, or you know what also honor bound i think honor bound i would have liked to have represented it a little bit more because as much as i enjoyed it mm-hmm. we don't get to see a lot of good imperial guard books um special shout out to celestine that was another one that i really wanted. oh i know with. like uh, yeah i had both honor bound and celestine kind of back in my mind although like knights of mccrag like i was like no i really want to give more props to knights of mccrag but there is not enough to give props to because like if there was a category if there was a category of like best horror i would have been like oh my god nice and mccrag or um but there's just so many things about it that don't fit either like you know just cato sicarius 
kind of redeeming himself and not being this, you know, asshole. Um, how he cared about the people, how mm-hmm. um, kind of how lighthearted he'd become, even in the face of some really horrible things happened on that ship. That he didn't go mad in those five years he was missing. Um, it's all probably my favorite horror scene in that. There's a lot of good horror stuff, but the thing that got me was the astropath, the skittering of the astropath. That was just so well written. Oh, so well written. It was terrifying. It was awful. And apparently and even I, the, the guy who narrated it for the audiobook, he said he had so much fun doing the horror oh, I bet for this. I bet. Yeah, I think... Oh, also, Belisarius Call. I didn't really get to represent that one very well. And I loved Felix. Felix was almost one of my favorite protagonists as Felix well. is a good protagonist, yeah. Felix is great. Um, so we also... These were just our awards that we did for the book club. We are going to have an article coming out probably toward the end of this week that will be the top five that we read outside of the book club because we both read a lot of things that we really liked outside of the book club mm-hmm. that we want to give props to and love as well. And <clears throat> next year, now that we've kind of caught up on some of our back reading, <clears throat> um, I spent all day screaming at a hockey tournament. So in a good way, not one of those people. Um, but as we continue to read a little bit, keep more, keep up more with current releases, but next year will probably be more of an actual best of 2020 since some of the books I gave shout outs tonight were published like three years ago. Um, anyways, we read, so, we read a lot that was published this year, like Spirit of the did. Emperor and Knights of McCrag and Belisarius Call and Apocalypse and Knights nice. of McCrag. <laughs> She really liked Nights of McCrack, you guys. You want to take us out, Carrie, on our best of 2020? I guess. I guess I will. So thank you so much for joining us for our very special, fuck, I should spirit fingers here going, our very special uh, episode of Warhammer 40k Book Club. So we will be back uh, January 2nd for another special episode, not part of like one of the numbered ones. This going to be about what we read on our Christmas vacation. <laughs> yes, Jen just for those listening, Jen just kind of did a little quick peek of one of the things that she's reading, which is Dark Harvest it has by pages. Yes, it has colored pages. That's the only reason why she's reading it. Well, there's two reasons why. Colored pages and Josh Reynolds. That's really the Okay, only so I'm also reading Cal Jericho, which, which also, also has, has colored pages. pages. Yes, you have a problem. Mine do not really have colored do. pages <laughs> that I am reading. But how can you read them? Very easily, actually. <laughs> I don't need to have colored pages. I feel like Gaston. How can you read this? There's no colored pages. <laughs> All these words. I'm referencing and Disney movies. Words and thinking. <laughs> it was too much whiskey o'clock. It's never enough whiskey. Well, actually, I can't do whiskey. Whiskey, whiskey makes me um, Cato Sicarius before the trapping in the warp. All right, so... But anyway, what we're just Robbie G dressing down Freighter Matthew. <clears throat> no, probably more like Karn, to be honest. <laughs> like if I had axes, it might be like that. But <laughs> Whiskey and I are not friends. We're not friends. But with that, thank you so much again. We're just going to go ahead and say goodnight. Because I don't think I could recite everything if I 
if you paid me money to right now. <laughs> so, all right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone, and happy 2020.